Good evening. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I mentioned that we would be going to a new book. And as I was praying, and as the Lord was working on my heart, I was grappling through uh, three different books, really, and I kept coming back to the first letter of Peter. I wasn't sure why necessarily, but perhaps as we go through, maybe the Lord will show his hand to us. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, we don't need to know why. It's his word, and um, I trust that this will be a time of blessing for us all, a time of encouragement as we begin the first letter of Peter, and then possibly after that, God willing, moving to the second letter of Peter, uh, but we shall see what the Lord will have. I'm also going to be turning to the book of Acts this evening, and if I say this morning, that's just habit, this evening I'll be turning to the book of Acts as well to look at uh, some of Peter's preaching, because this is an introduction. We want to know a little bit more about Peter. This is something he wrote later in his life, very late in his life. And we're going to look a little bit um, at his preaching, what he said. We looked at it a little bit on Wednesday night, but we'll look at it again. But first, for the reading of the Word of God, in First Peter chapter 1, just follow along with me, if you would, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though... You have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your, of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you 
through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll just stop right there. Lord, we pray once again that you would help us to understand your word, God, and you'd help me to deliver your word faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a brief outline as we consider First Peter. There is only a few chapters, five chapters. Of course, we have the, the opening, the salutation, verse 1 and 2, and Peter gets right into it. And then verse 3 through 12, we have salvation explained and then salvation tested. And then verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 12, we have salvation and its implications. And under that uh, category or under that umbrella, we have individual holiness in chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And then what it means to live in reverence to God, verse 17 through 21. And then the explanation of an imperishable seed and longing for the word in chapter 122 through chapter 2, verse 3. And then the explanation of the living stones and that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then holiness in all aspects of life, all spheres and all relationships. We see in chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through three twelve, And in aliens and strangers in this world we are considered to be. Because this world is ultimately not our home. We are here for a season. We are here as pilgrims, aliens, strangers. And then there's Christian living in and under human institutions. How do we honor authority? We see that in chapter 2. And then godly living in marriage, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And then we have summary, uh, summarization and applications of holy living. Latter part of chapter 3, or actually chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. And then suffering, serving, and bringing glory to God. And then some concluding thoughts. So as we consider Peter, obviously we understand the author is the Apostle Peter. The letter claims to be from Peter. And 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 1, he also says, Simon Peter, a bondservant or a slave of the Apostle of Jesus Christ. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, this, this is the only direct reference to Peter in the letter. But there's also a significant piece of evidence in chapter 5, verse 1, that it is indeed Peter. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter was there. He was there walking with Jesus. He was there 
when Jesus was suffering. Peter says in the second letter also, he says that he wrote another letter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. So if he says that in the second letter, we would be led to believe that indeed he wrote a first letter. Now some try to take a position that uh, the Greek in 1 Peter is uh, too polished and too refined to come from a Galilean fisherman. Peter may have been unlearned, uneducated, or unlearned, as it says in Acts chapter 4. But that did not mean a lack of mental capability or a lack of ability to learn. It meant he did not have the formal training um, in the schools of the rabbis, which probably was for his benefit, as we consider the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as we study through Scripture. Furthermore, if scholars are correct in that he wrote this in AD 60-ish, that was about 30 years more, 30 years longer since he began as a disciple following Jesus Christ in person. 30 years is a long time to study Greek, to perfect Greek. Peter spent a number of years as a fisherman, While he would engage in commerce, he would engage in Greek and Hebrew. So he had to know both, really. And as we study uh, 1 Peter, we're able to see his life from a perspective that's quite interesting. And we are to see his life as we look at different portions of Scripture, which we will do this evening, begin to follow him through it. Um, We see him in the Gospels in the ministry of Christ, and we see different aspects of things that he said, things that he did, and then we see later on in his life that he indeed wrote First Peter, the human author. But Matthew 16, verse 16, is an account of Jesus asking Peter, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So what did Peter do when he told him this? Peter just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when Jesus said what was going to happen to him, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And we remember what Jesus said. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So that's just one account of an interaction with Peter. And then in John chapter 18... You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll just read these for you. 
Jesus before the high priest, John chapter 18, verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. And in verse 27, or actually verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Remember, this is the account when they were... Uh, they had a Jesus in custody, and they were treating him harshly. They were beginning to uh, treat the Lord with contempt, and they were beating him and mocking him. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one who, whose uh, ear Peter cut off, there's another thing that Peter did cut off his ear, if you remember that account. He said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. And you know, if we read the accounts in the gospel, you see the full account of what took place. And then there was in John chapter 21, after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, in chapter 21, when he appeared to the disciples. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then we know that after this was Pentecost. After this, when uh, the Holy Spirit came down, at Pentecost, the, uh, in Acts chapter 2, and then Peter's first sermon, which I referenced Wednesday night. I don't want to read the, the whole thing, but this is Peter after he denied Christ. This is Peter after he saw Jesus, after Jesus had risen from the dead and had this uh, interaction with, with him that I just read from the Gospel of John. And the disciples were to wait in the upper room. And go there, we read that account in Acts chapter 1, and then Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and he began to preach. And as I mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 36, in a nutshell, he was calling them murderers. This Jesus whom you crucified. This man that you nailed to the cross. And the response to this sermon by Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then we 
Read the account there that multitudes were saved that day and added about 3,000 souls. And then we see in chapter 3 that Peter, once again, Peter and John, now after Pentecost, here they go, healing the lame beggar. In chapter 3, the beginning uh, of the verses there. I'll just summarize it. We don't need to read it all. Peter, along, verse 4, Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us, to the man who was uh, the lame beggar. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And, And seizing him by the hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Imagine this scene, what it must have looked like. This man now can walk. Not only was he walking, but he was leaping. As the apostles were given the capabilities by God to do such healings in this time for reasons, and it identified them as the apostles. This type of healing uh, ceased in the apostolic age. It is not for today, but that's another sermon for another time. God still heals. Thankfully, so in his choosing the way he desires to do so. And then Peter's second sermon, we see there in verse 11 and following, and then they get arrested. And in chapter 4, verse 20, when they were told not to speak any more of the things of the Lord, They were concerned, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were men on fire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not going to listen to man who said, you cannot talk about Jesus. They would rather obey God than obey man. And the scripture also says that as well. I believe it's in chapter 5. Yes, in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than God. Men, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. Peter didn't mince words. Peter went right at it. He went for the jugular. He spoke truth. And he went out and he would rather obey God than than man when they told him, you must stop. So when we get to First Peter and Second Peter, we 
You get the privilege and the perspective of a man who has followed Christ more than three decades, who has preached, as we just read in, in the book of Acts, who walked with Jesus, actually walked with Jesus the Lord and continued to do so. A lifetime of wisdom, walked with Jesus daily, went through trials, suffering, and had the memory of betraying the Son of God. He was God's ambassador. He was an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ. And Peter indicates in Peter, First uh, Peter, ch- chapter five, verse thirteen, that he wrote from Babylon. Peter also men- mentions Mark in chapter five, verse thirteen. Just briefly, Babylon is a reference to Rome. He may have been being cryptic with his wording here, with his reference. But it's a symbolic term for Rome. Peter writes from Rome to churches in Asia Minor. Those several churches mentioned in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Tom Schreiner says, We have corroborating evidence that Mark, the one mentioned in chapter 5, was in Rome about the same time Peter was written. And he cites uh, Colossians 4.10 and Philemon Verse 24. So there should be no doubt that Peter is the one who, with a human writer of First Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then we must consider who the audience is. The, the ones who first read this. A group of churches rather than an individual church. As we consider, as Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, uh, Peter writes to uh, a collection of churches here, the, the northeastern part of the Roman Empire, those scattered throughout, a universal letter to several places. Silvanus, mentioned in chapter 5, the scholars uh, say that it's uh, also Silas, but we'll get there at some point. He would deliver the letter to each place. He would travel around. But Peter's main main audience are believers, which he makes clear in verse 1 and 2. Those who are chosen, uh, the elect. But before we dig any further, we must consider two things and answer two questions. Were the readers Jews or Gentiles? Second question would be, what were the readers going through, or the, uh, the original audience, uh, what were they going through when they received the letter? Well, Peter quotes often from the Old Testament to try to answer the first question, um, who were the readers, Jews or Gentiles? He quotes often from the Old Testament as uh, someone who was a, a Jewish man would, and he alludes to it throughout the letter. End of the first chapter, we see that. We see from Isaiah 40, and then into the second chapter, he cites Isaiah 28, 16, and then Psalm 118, verse 22, and then Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 14. So he's going to Isaiah, going to the Psalms. Peter mentions also Sarah and Abraham. He mentions Noah. 
So just on some of this alone, and in brief, some hold the opinion that the readers were Jewish. However, we find in other New Testament letters that references to the Old Testament uh, are there when written to Gentiles. Consider 1 Corinthians. We also find in the letter clues that lead us to conclude it was written mostly to Gentiles. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, In your ignorance. This speaks of the pagan, their pagan past, idol worship, which was common among Gentiles. In chapter 1, verse 18, uh, he says, In your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Peter would not speak this way of Jewish forefathers living in a futile, empty way. But he would not hesitate to speak that way of uh, the Gentile forefathers, those in, uh, who were involved in idolatry. And in chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, <clears throat> For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who knew them thought it, surprised, thought it was surprising that they did not go their way, but turned to God. For someone who was in the Old Testament, who was Jewish, to turn back to God would not be surprising. But to someone to turn to the one true God as a Gentile involved in idolatry, to those who were surrounding them, it would be surprising. Why are you turning to this way of Jesus? We have all of these, these gods here. Schreiner points out, it's difficult to believe that Peter would characterize Jews as indulging in such blatant sins, whereas the vices were typical of the Jewish conception of Gentiles. Now, Schreiner's not saying that uh, the Jews would not do such sins. He's saying that uh, it, Peter would characterize the Jews in such a way. So what were the readers going through? So I, I submit to you that this is primarily Gentiles that he is writing to. The second question, what were the readers or the recipients of the letters going through at the time? What was their circumstances? What was happening? Well, if you read 1 Peter, you'll see that there was suffering and persecution. Suffering and persecution. Although at this time, persecution was not uh, state-sponsored, was not an all-out widespread act of violence against all Christians. However, when persecution did exist, it was violent and it was severe. Romans didn't like Christians because they refused to worship the emperor. Jews did not like Christians because they followed Jesus, a crucified Jew, while they still waited their Messiah, supposed. 
The suffering and persecution that these believers in these churches would face was inevitable. As people of God, they must depart from their pagan idolatrous ways, which will seem shocking to those who they used to be with. A similar thing happens when we get when someone here gets converted. I mean, we could all share our testimonies. Maybe some of us who got converted in our 20s, 30s, or even 40s, or even late uh, 18, 19. And we were walking one way in the world, and then people were surprised when we turned to Christ. Well, suffering, trials, or persecutions are mentioned in each chapter of 1 Peter. And as the letter goes on, chapter by chapter, it goes from what may happen to what is going to happen with certainty. So I'll just reference these scriptures for you so that you can um, look at them later. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. Chapter 2, 18 18 through 20. Chapter 3, verse 1. And then chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Chapter 4, 1 through 4. And also in chapter 4, 12 through 19. And in chapter 5, verse 10. These are difficulties that Peter says are coming to believers. Yet he sandwiches them between the grace of God and the effectual call that cannot be thwarted by persecution, it cannot be thwarted by suffering, it cannot be thwarted by the evil one. So he sandwiches what he writes about suffering and persecution with his grand introduction about the grace and peace of God and then the conclusion Likewise, but as we look through this, as we just look at chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we see protection in suffering. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Oh, what a text to meditate upon if you're going through suffering, going through trial, knowing that this is just a little while could be lifelong on this earth. But when compared to eternity, it is for a little while. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So we see protection in suffering. And then we see perseverance in suffering. Chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. And we're going to get into these in more detail when we get there. But chapter 2, 18 through 20. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. An unreasonable or disrespectful overseer. 
For this finds favor, for it is for the sake of conscience towards God. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And that's hard to do at times. Because when we're under sorrow while suffering, we want to get out of it. We want a remedy quickly. And then we have, so we have protection in suffering, perseverance in suffering. In chapter 3, verse 1, patience under suffering. This doesn't necessarily particularly apply individually to everyone, but in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Well, that could be uh, suffering to some. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So for the unequally yoked, one's a Christian, one is not. That's suffering for the one who is a believer. Because they must endure the, being married with someone who is not a Christian. And the scripture says how we are to be in the midst of that. Patience under suffering. And then chapter 3 verse 13 through 17. Prepared for suffering. Prepared for suffering. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And then the verse which we covered this morning, which I won't uh, belabor, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, preparing for suffering. And then in chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, pursuit of God in suffering. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. I met, uh, or met for the second time, a, 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 an older lady, elderly, we'll just say very elderly lady, uh, yesterday when I was doing some evangelism with another brother. And she goes out and evangelizes with the rest of them. And she's an elderly woman uh, she has a cane and such, and she tells about her testimony, how long she's been a, a Christian for, and she's just fired up for the Lord. And she says uh, something along the lines of, I just want to serve the Lord continually. And she's, you know, the, the type of age we would consider, oh, where do you live now as far as maybe assisted living or some type of setting? No, she's out there. She, she's going to be out there until the fireworks go off. She was going to be out there until the nighttime, to the close of the event. And we were there at, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was just an encouragement and a rebuke to me. She's no longer uh, living for the lust of men, but for the will of God, even until t- she takes her last breath. 
and for those of you who are more mature in age as well, and as you're serving the Lord, that's an encouragement for people who are younger. It's an encouragement to me. It doesn't stop. We don't retire from serving the Lord. We continue on. Pursuit of God in suffering. And I didn't finish the verse because I got a little sidetracked, but that's okay. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. I did reference that verse. In chapter 4, verse 12 through 19, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. So here it is. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. So here it is. He goes from a, a possible suffering coming your way to don't be surprised the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And that's quite a testimony as well for, uh, for lost people is when someone who's a Christian goes through a trial and they go through a trial and they come out the other side and the lost sees them go through the trial and say, wow, I don't know how they handled that situation. You know, when we go through things and we say, I don't know how I would ever go through that without Christ in my life. The pursuit of God in suffering. Suffering comes and suffering goes, but we continue to pursue the one true God. And in the providence, verse chapter uh, 4, verse 12 through 19, the providence of God while suffering. I just referenced verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you will be reviled for walking with Jesus Christ. It will happen. It will continue to happen this side of glory in some way, shape, or form. Some more than others. But he also says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a real gripping text there. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? The providence of God while suffering. And finally, the persistence during suffering. Chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So there's other brothers, uh, other churches going through similar things. 
Be uh, encouraged. Be sober. Resist him. Firm in the faith. This sounds like Ephesians, the armor of God. So we have protection in suffering, perseverance in suffering, patience under suffering, preparing for suffering, the pursuit of God in suffering, the providence of God while suffering, and the persistence during suffering. And just verse uh, verse 1 for us, part of verse 1 for us for the rest of our time, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle here does not mean an ordinary messenger. Peter, chosen, handpicked by Jesus. And in 2 Peter, he introduces himself as Simon Peter, a bondservant, or I believe it's doulos there, a slave of Jesus Christ. Simon was his name, Peter was his name that Christ gave him. You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. When the recipients received this letter, they would understand who this is from. This is from Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, which carried a unique authority. Peter was also one of the inner circle, the inner core, the the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Daniel Doriani also points out, Peter was the most outspoken amongst the twelve disciples. As he confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, which I referenced, but even dared to rebuke Jesus, which I referenced. He made rash vows, I will never disown you, yet he denied Jesus Three times. After the resurrection of Jesus, he was commissioned. Jesus commissioned the apostles in the Great Commission. Peter renewed and was reinstated and recommissioned, commanded by Jesus to feed his sheep in John 21. After the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to thousands and thousands were saved. So as we think of that and we read and we study through 1 Peter, we think of Peter's failures in life, his struggles in life, his sin. But Jesus continued to hold him fast. And God used him anyway in spite of his failures. So as we study 1 Peter and we consider suffering, we consider uh, persecution, we consider our own sin, but God continues to hold us fast. I'm going to read just a brief uh, one paragraph from the commentary of the um, Beakey's Bible, the family worship Bible, on this text. He says this, The struggle believers wage against sin is not because of anything in us, but because of God's gracious plan in choosing whom he would save before the foundation of the world in eternity past. This is a great comfort to believers of all ages and reminds us that our struggle is not ours alone, 
but rests in the sovereign and omnipotent plan of God. And he asks this question, and we leave with this. For believers, how can knowing God chose us, encourage us while suffering or while persecution is there? How can the knowing the fact that God chose us, that he called us, how can that encourage us as we suffer through whatever we must in this day or in the days to come? Let us pray. Father, thank you that you continue to hold us fast. Thank you you opened our eyes so that we may see. You've given us your word, O Lord, to where we read that we are to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. God, you never leave us nor forsake us. You're there with us in the valley. You're there with us in sufferings and persecutions. God, for all who name the name of Christ, who are Christians, we can say, God uh, set his love upon me. He, He chose me. And it was nothing in ourselves. Thank you for the sovereign work, Lord. We can put our heads on our pillows tonight knowing that we rest in the arms of Christ, that he holds us fast. As the world continues to spiral out of control, as it were, we know, though, God, that you are in full control. As we shake our head at times, And we say, how could this even be going on today? How could this be going on in our country? How could this be going on in the church? The church is represented across the land. But Lord, we know you have a perfect plan. And we know that there are those out there who need to hear your gospel. And you've given us the message to proclaim that we would be faithful to proclaim your word, that we would be faithful in our witness, in our lives, in in how we live as well, O Lord. For this upcoming week may bring trials in our lives as individuals or corporately. We, We don't know, God, only you know. Or it could be a week that was just so wonderful and filled with so much blessing. Either way, we praise you. Either way, you are the one true God. Either way, you continue to work in us. Please help us to learn from your word as we continue our study in 1 Peter. And as we go about our ways this evening, please protect us. Unite us together again. Lord, that we would have time, even a fellowship throughout the week, reaching out to one another, spending time to one another, praying for one another, Lord. 
Let us walk so close to you, our Lord and our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.